You're listening to Time in the Word. The only way to get what Christ has to offer is to be united to Him by faith. John Calvin said, We must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from Him, all that He has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. But once we are in Christ, then we get everything He has to offer, especially His righteousness. When we are in Christ, God considers us as righteous as His own Son, not because we are righteous, but because we are in Christ. The doctrine of union with Christ explains why the Christian is dead to the law. We were united to Christ in His crucifixion. As far as God is concerned, we were really and truly nailed to the cross with Christ. It was on the cross that the law carried out its death penalty against us. Therefore, as far as the law is concerned, we are now dead. There is nothing the law can do to improve our standing before God. We can live for Christ because we are dead to the law. In today's study, Dr. Gonzalez will conclude his exposition of Galatians chapter 2, verses 17 through 21. Galatians chapter 2, I will read the text again. We'll start in verse 17, stop at verse 21. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. We trust that the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. We already looked at the first Two verses during the earlier meeting, so we will pick up at verse 19. We recall that we said that in Christ, the law has been destroyed as a way of getting us right with God. Now think of the profound implications of that truth. For through the law, he says in verse 19, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. So the first question to ask about this verse is, what did Paul mean when he said, died to the law? Now notice, it is not the law, or the law is not what dies. Rather, Paul is the one who dies with respect to the law. Now this is a remarkable thing, again, for a Pharisee, for a former Pharisee to say. I mean, when Paul was a Pharisee, as I mentioned this morning, he lived for the law. And now this man who lived for the law as a Christian says he is dead to the law. That is to say that the law is no longer or he is no longer under the law's power. But then another question arises. How can someone die to the law through the law? It would seem to make more sense if Paul said through the gospel, I died to the law so that I might live Christ, but that's not what he says. He says, through the law, I died to the law. He says that it was the law itself. Now, this is important because, again, Paul understood the law. He says that it was the law itself that persuaded him to abandon the law. 
So let me unpack that a little bit. What do we mean by that? What did Paul mean by that? I mean, if you read the scriptures, you understand and you recall that you remember that the law came with a deadly curse. What does scripture tell us? It tells us that anyone who failed to keep everything, not most, not some, everything, all, everything that the God's law required was condemned to die. And in verse 19, when Paul is referring, uh, when he talks about the law, he's referring to the whole law. He's not just making reference to the ceremonial, cer- ceremonial law. So the worst that the law could do to a man was what? Kill him. However, once the law had exacted its death penalty, there was nothing else it could do. A man could only be executed once. And once he had been executed, the law has no further claim on him. And it is perhaps for this reason that Paul considered himself dead to the law, because essentially the law had already put him to death. One New Testament commentator says this, by saying that he died to the law through the law, Paul is anticipating his later discussion of the provisional role of the law in the history of salvation. The law itself, by revealing the inadequacy of human obedience and the depth of human sinfulness, set the stage, as it were, for the drama of redemption effected by the promised Messiah who fulfilled the law by obeying it perfectly and suffering its curse vicariously. Paul declares that his death was accomplished by identification with the cross. Again, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Think about that for a moment. So, as far as the Christian is concerned, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the penalty of the law has already been what? Carried out. The law's demand for death or of death was satisfied in the death of Christ. It was the law that put Christ to death on the cross. And when Christ died, this is what Paul is saying. And again, what's true of Paul is true of every single one of us. When Christ died, Paul died too, at least as far as the law was concerned. He died to the law in the death of his substitute. Hence, his triumphal statement in verse 19 where he says, through the law, I died to the law. I often wonder how, you know, when we sit down to study the scriptures for ourselves in our own personal study time, how often do we simply gloss over a passage of scripture without diving into the depth of everything that is being said by the writer of the text? You know, we talk a great deal about expository preaching and exegesis and and all those things, but how often are we studying expository-ly? Let me make up a word. How often is our personal study of the Scriptures exegetical? How often are we looking at the meaning of the words and the implication of those words, not only then, but now, to us and to the church? We read Scripture oftentimes as we would read anything else that has no other maybe value, depending on what you read, than the entertaining story it it unfolds through its pages, and that's it. When Christ died, Paul died too. He wrote his own obituary. And Paul now goes on to explain the circumstances of his demise. Notice verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. And just to kind of go back to the comments I just made, how often have you stopped at that point 
to really seriously consider what that means to you. What are its implications to you? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We quote that verse all the time. What is it saying? Notice that here Paul indicates when he died to the law. He, we, died to the law when Christ died on the cross. That's when Paul died to the law, for he was crucified with Christ. And the text reveals something very surprising about the cross. It shows that at least four things were nailed to the cross of Calvary. Now, obviously, the most obvious of those is obviously the Lord Jesus himself through his hands and his feet. The records plainly show he was put to death by being nailed to the cross, but also, also fastened to the cross by a nail and a hammer was the public announcement that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The third thing, and if you have your Bible with you, go to Colossians chapter 2. The third thing that was nailed to the cross was the debt of our sins. Now, Paul explains this to the Colossians, and look at uh, Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to start in the last phrase of verse 13, and then read verse 14. And I'm using God here as to identify who it is that has forgiven. But having forgiven all our trespasses, God, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, what? Nailing it to the cross. So the debt of our sin was also nailed to that cross when Christ was nailed to that cross. The record of debt was the law of God, which condemns us by listing all our sins. And which Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, God canceled that by nailing it to the cross. But here's the surprise. You as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have placed your faith in him, were also nailed to that cross. Let's go back to our passage in, in, in Galatians chapter 2. You see, the crucifixion, and, and these are the things that sometimes we miss when we, when, we, when we read through these important passages. But the crucifixion is not just a fact about the life of Christ in a momentous event in human history. But it is also part of every Christian's personal story. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. The crucifixion of Christ is part of Paul's personal story. The crucifixion of Christ is part of your personal story, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus. One Cambridge theologian said this, We are in mind and meditation to consider Christ crucified. And first, we are to believe that he was crucified for us. This being done, we must go yet further and as it were, spread ourselves on the cross of Christ, believing and with all beholding ourselves crucified with him. That's what Paul is saying. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I, I am Jesus. Yes, he died once for all. He alone, Christ alone, is the God-man. He alone could atone for the sins of the world by offering his life in our place. Yet the Scripture also says that the Christian has been crucified with Christ. 
And in this passage, it uses the perfect tense to show that this is something that really and truly happened, as if Paul or as if us were truly nailed to the very tree of Calvary. This is not a subjective experience in the life of the believer, but an objective reality that is based on the believer's relationship to Christ. As I was doing my study for this particular message, I came across something that a Pauline scholar wrote. He said, Paul does not have merely, in writing about this particular verse, he says, Paul does not have merely his inward life in view, but his whole person in history, which has now been manifestly taken up in the cross and resurrection of Christ. Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus? If you are, you have been crucified with Christ. And again, what are the implications of that? What does that look like in the life of each believer? So the surprising truth that the Christian has been crucified in Christ rests on the most magnificent of all doctrines, union with Christ. All the things that Paul are saying are true about the believer are true because of the fact that as born-again Christians, we are in Christ. One Scottish theologian said this about this whole doctrine of union with Christ. He said it is, he called it the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. Listen, we encounter in various places in the New Testament, again and again, the teaching of the Christian being in Christ. In proper theological categories, the Christian is united to Christ. And the way that anyone becomes united to Christ is by faith. That's the gospel. Paul says this in verse 16 again when he says, we also have believed in Jesus Christ. Faith is how we are united with Christ. Once you put your faith in Christ, you are in Christ. Our union with Christ becomes a spiritual reality. Martin Luther said, By faith you are cemented to Christ that he and you are as one person, which cannot be separated but remains attached to him forever. And the reason why union with Christ is such a magnificent doctrine is that once we are united to Christ by faith, then everything that Christ has ever done becomes something that we have done as it relates to justification and reconciliation and redemption. It is as if we had lived his perfect life and died his painful death. It is as if we were buried in his tomb and then raised up. Look for a moment at Romans chapter 6. And I want to read verses uh, 3 through 5. Romans chapter 6, 3 through 5. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. God attaches to us, or he attaches us to the events of Christ's life so that they become part of our lives. 
Have we gotten that when we've read that text? Or we've just read the text and sort of whatever little thing jumped out that may have served as a valid you know, application for perhaps something we're dealing with in our own life is all we got. Listen, that's why we can't possibly exhaust the scriptures. The depth is unreal. His story, the story of the cross and the empty tomb becomes our story. We have been crucified with Christ. We have risen to live in newness of life. And all that Christ can give through our union with Him, we get. Justification being just one of those things. The only way to get with uh, what Christ has to offer is to be united to Him by faith. And that's why, listen, if anybody in this, in this meeting this morning is, is not a, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're trusting something to somehow reconcile you to God, and you're not coming to God by the means through which He has prescribed reconciliation, you're holding to a gospel that is no gospel at all. Even if you have faith, even if, even if you agree with faith being a critical component to the gospel, and even if you hold to, to grace being a critical component to the gospel, and even if you hold to, to Christ being a critical component of the gospel, if you've added anything at all to that, you've nullified the gospel. We come on, on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. to do precisely what? To once again meditate upon the simple fact that if it were not for the grace of God, we would never be reconciled to Him. We would never be justified. We would never be redeemed. One reformer said, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from Him, all that He has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us. But once we are in Christ, then we get everything He has to offer. Everything, especially righteousness. When we are in Christ, God considers us as righteous as His own Son. Not because we are righteous, but because He is. And we are in union with Him. We are in Christ. The doctrine of the union with Christ explains why the Christian is dead to the law. We are united with Him by crucifixion, Paul is explaining. As far as God is concerned, we were really and truly nailed to the cross of Christ. It was on the cross that the law carried out the death penalty against us. Therefore, as far as the law is concerned, we're dead. There is nothing the law can do to improve our standing before God. And Paul says we can live for Christ because we are dead to the law. Not only are we dead to the law, it is almost as if we had stopped living altogether. He says in verse, the first part of verse uh, uh, 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul is, is saying something like this, if we, if we paraphrase what he's saying. He's saying, I'm no, I no longer have a life of my own, if there were such a thing. The only life I have is the life that God puts into me through Jesus Christ. It would be hard to think of a more antithetical statement or text to our contemporary culture. Consider the words from the actress Shirley MacLaine. Let me read you something she said. The most pleasurable journey you take is through yourself. The only sustaining love involvement is with yourself. 
when you look back on your life and try to figure out where you've been and where you're going, when you look at your work, your love affairs, your marriages, your children, your pain, your happiness, when you examine all that closely, what you really find out is that the only person you really go to bed with is yourself. The only person you really dress is yourself. The only thing you have is working to the consummation of your own identity. Shirley MacLaine's words really do capture the spirit of our selfish age, doesn't it? I mean, moderns and postmoderns alike are obsessed with what? Themselves. Self-esteem, self-improvement, self-fulfillment, self-indulgence. Whatever you want as long as it begins with self. And in these self-absorbed times, the Bible announces the death of the self. It is no longer I who live. I am no longer, as a Christian, I am no longer dominated by thoughts of my own pleasure and prestige. If I have a life at all, it is only the life that Christ lives in me. Oh yes, we still have a normal physical existence, what Paul calls in, in the second part of verse uh, 20, the life I now live in the flesh. So he no longer lives from a spiritual standpoint. The life he now lives is the life that Christ lives in him, though he still exists. The only self I have is the one that is united to Christ by faith. My life is the life that Christ lives in me, the life I live by faith in the Son of God. Is that the way it is for us? I mean, is that, is that evident in our lives? Have we understood it to be that way? Union with Christ provides the answer to the question that we posed earlier. If God justifies bad people, then the question becomes, why do good? Isn't justification by faith, and we hear this. I've certainly heard it when I talk to individuals sometimes. Isn't it a dangerous doctrine that encourages people to be immoral? What's Paul's answer? Certainly not. I mean, the reason the doctrine of justification by faith does not promote sin is that justifying faith is what gets us into Christ. And when we are in Christ, we become what? A new creation. Listen, we're not simply justified by faith. We also live by faith. By faith, we are in the crucified Christ. By the same faith, Christ lives in us. Since we live in Christ, what I would share with somebody who's sort of advocating that position, you know, I'm saved, so. Since we are in Christ, we no longer live to sin. To even propose that argument is troublesome because now that we are new creatures in Christ and we understand what has transpired, we no longer live to sin. Since we live by Christ and since we live through Christ, all that we do, we do for the glory of God. And then in the last verse that we were looking at in this text, just for the sake of argument, let's assume that there's another way to be justified, apart from the work of Christ. Suppose that there is some other way for getting right with God. Imagine, for example, that Paul's opponents, what they were saying was actually true, that to be accepted by God, we would have to keep the law of Moses, get circumcised, and do the rest of it. 
the question now becomes explain the reason for the death of Christ. Why did Christ die then? If justification can come by some other means. Obviously, from what they're arguing, it's not to justify sinners because this is something that the sinner must do for himself, according to them. Paul's point is that if it is possible to be justified by the working of the law, or by working the law, then there was absolutely no reason for Christ to come and to die on that cross. Think about that. The fact of the incarnation, the fact of a perfect life, the fact of imputation, the fact of crucifixion, the fact of wrath, the fact of death, the fact of resurrection, prove the absolute necessity of Christ as the only means by which we can be reconciled to God. Because if there's other means, then what he did was for no reason at all. I get accused as a Christian as for being narrow-minded, exclusive. My first correction is it's not me who it is. I'm simply repeating what God said in his word. I believe what it says, and I share with you what it says. But why does God say what he say, says in his word the way he does? I mean, don't you think God would be happy to be able to share with all humans that there's various ways to get into him and it, Christ is not the only way? His death becomes pointless if there's any other way. His work was in vain. His cross was unnecessary. For if our own works can save us, then Christ's death was uh, superfluous or perhaps Christ's death was not sufficient. Timothy George writes that if we add works of the law to the sacrifice of the cross, then indeed we make a mockery of Jesus' death just as the soldiers who spat upon him, the thieves who hurled insults at him, and the one who shouted, come down from the cross. And that is exactly what the Judaizers were doing. 